1: What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys had a great weekend. Um, I had a good weekend. I had a buddy in from out of town and, uh, yeah, hung out, did some grilling, did some fishing, ate some fresh fish out of the river. It was good. Watched Game of Thrones last night, the series finale, which I have a lot of thoughts, have a lot of thoughts, but my guest today actually does not watch Game of Thrones, so, uh, I'm going to save my Game of Thrones talk for Wednesday. I will definitely book a guest that uh, watches the show, so I definitely want to uh, do some Game of Thrones spoilers, but uh, I'll save it. I'll I'll just let that marinate for a couple days. I'll just give it a couple days. Who knows? I'm kind of upset right now, but hey, maybe, maybe that episode will grow on me in the next 48 hours or so. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Anyway, I was joined by my good friend Alex Sears, uh, and there was a lot to break down. We talked about uh, big tech censorship and what we should be doing about it next. Um, we talked about Pete Buttigieg his uh, in his campaign and how he's kind of stalled out a little bit. Um, we talked about Justin Amash um, going hard against President Trump over the weekend. We, we break all of it down. So, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy it. I'm sure you will. It's always great talking to Alec. Um, first, everybody follow us on Twitter at Pod. Uh, tweet at us. We always tweet back. And please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you are on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with Alex Sears. All right, guys, we're here with Alex Sears. Alex, thanks so much for coming back on, my friend.
0: Thanks for having me. It's always a good time to be here.
1: Absolutely. So let's just jump into the news of the day Uh, over this weekend, uh, this past weekend. Conservative congressman from. Uh, Michigan, Justin Amash, uh, who's actually one of my favorite members of Congress, I was a little disappointed to see this, um, I, I really like Justin, but he came out swinging against President Trump over the weekend. I, I'm just going to quote uh, his tweet real quick. Quote: Here, is, here are my principal conclusions. One, uh, he, he's referring to, the, uh, to Attorney General Bill Barr and the Mueller report uh, Yeah, for context. Here are my principal conclusions. One, Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented Mueller's report. Two, President Trump has engaged in impeachable conduct. Three, partisanship has eroded our system of checks and balances. And four, few members of Congress have read the report. Now, I want to go uh, point by point through that, but just overall, your take on uh, Justin Amash coming out of left field um, with his attacks on the president.
0: Yeah, this is pretty surprising
1: um, from someone who's typically as level-headed as
0: Justin Amash. And he's trying to appear level-headed while doing this still. But I just thought that it was, you know, kind of interesting that he's going to go on this, you know, he's going to do a Twitter thread about Trump being impeachable. Um, He's not going to do, like, a press release or anything, which is kind of funny because he's really taking a, you know, a play out of Trump's book. And and jumping all this onto Twitter, and then trying to do some in the spirit of bipartisanship. When uh, I mean honestly, if you you know look at the Mueller report, I don't I'm not entirely sure how he comes to his conclusions, but we'll we'll get to that in a bit. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I have no idea how he came to these conclusions. So I, I just want to like, going through this tweet, he you know these four points he laid out. Uh, we can just take down three and four. Uh, right off the bat. I mean, partisanship has eroded our system of checks and balances. I mean, sure, I guess, I mean like partisanship's bad. I, you know, sure. I mean, I guess we can all somewhat agree with that. And then his fourth point, few members of Congress have read the report. I'm sure that's true just because these people are terrible at their jobs. So I mean, (laughs) yeah, like those two points are believable. His second point that president Trump has engaged in impeachable conduct. I've read the full Mueller report or at least, well, I've read about half of it. I read all the important stuff. Um. I mean, no, he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't, at least by my definition of impeachable. I mean, technically, this is true um, because anything is impeachable. I mean, impeachment isn't a legal term. Congress can impeach anybody for any reason. I mean, drinking black coffee could could be an impeachable offense if Congress deems it to be. So, I mean, that that's completely irrelevant. I don't even know why he included that in here. Uh, that's kind of just a worthless addition to this tweet. So it all comes down to his first point, that Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented Mueller's report. I mean, Robert Mueller disagrees. Robert Mueller himself said that Bill Barr did not misrepresent his report. So, I mean, look, just at face value, if Mueller doesn't disagrees with Amash's conclusion, how can any reasonable human being agree with that? I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense.
0: I don't know. Honestly, this is— like you said, out of left field for, for Justin Amash. And, um, it's honestly, the tweet thread is just strange because, um, first of all, I mean, like I said, it is a tweet thread and not, you know, like a press release, it didn't hold a press conference. He just kind of blasted this out and, and, you know, made the president look weak because he's not getting support from members of his own party. Um, but you know, Justin has always been more of kind of the libertarian side of things and it, It's almost like he's using this report on, you know, spying on the Trump campaign and that kind of thing, or or colluding with Russia, um, to say, hey, our presidents have too much power, let's use this opportunity just to knock Trump down a bit, which, you know, being a team player aside, isn't the best thing to do strategically, especially with a report like this that just completely undermines the public trust in elections. Now, it came out that, you know, Trump didn't collude with Russia and everything, so, you know, Justin Amash is interpreting the report incorrectly. And then, like, I'm just trying to understand, like, what his goal is here, because there doesn't really seem to be one. Like, what what is what was the goal of the tweet thread? Was it to, to say, hey, we need to start impeachment proceedings? Was it to say, hey, Trump did all these terrible things, and we need to get him out? Was it to say, Congress needs to to assert its authority over the presidency and show America that, you know, we have a system of checks and balances. I'm not sure what he's trying to get out of this.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it, it is, it, it, like you said, it's just so out of character for Justin Amash. I mean, he seems like a, just a very reasonable human being. And, and like, I'm not going to pile on Justin. I mean, I'm not going to say I hate the guy or something like he's, one of my favorite members of Congress. I respect him more than most members of Congress. He's extremely conservative. His voting record is on point. I mean, he's a, he's an extremely conservative congressman by any measure, so I'm not going to say he's trash or something like that, but, um, it, it, I, I mean, very rarely do I agree with Kevin McCarthy over Justin Dimash. I mean, this is just not—it's it's, it's very strange for me. Um, but the, the, the most annoying thing— about this tweet thread is is the kinds of people that are praising Justin Amash now, um, and all these people are just the worst man. They're being wildly disingenuous. Uh, the the people praising Justin Amash for this are establishment Republicans that hate him, <laughs> you know, like they hate Justin Amash. They hate the Freedom Caucus, you know. They any any time the Freedom Caucus went went to war with Paul Ryan, they they backed Paul Ryan. Um, so, I mean, they don't like him anyway. And then of course, leftists are now praising Justin Amash, which is you can just miss me with that shit <laughs> left, yeah. the leftist. I mean like Justin Amash's entire career in public service has been focused on destroying the left. I mean, his entire career is trying to take down socialism. He's one of the most conservative members of government ever in the history of our country, legitimately, at least in the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. So the left can just miss me with that bullshit because I'm not buying it. It's so disingenuous. And it, it's driving me crazy. A lot of you know people that you and I, friends of ours, people that you and I respect a lot, people that have been on the show, they, some of the more you know never-Trump-establishment-type Republicans, that that bothers me just as much as the leftists uh, supporting Justin Dimash in this. It's like, I get it, guys. I get it. You don't like this president. I, I get it. You're trying to drag this, this Mueller stuff out. It's, it is long past its expiration date. I don't know why we can't just move on. Read the report. It's public. It's out there. I've read it. It's not that long. I think it's 400 pages, but if you read the first 200 pages, you, you get the whole gist of what's going on. I Just the the types of people praising Justin Amash for this are, is bothering me more than what Amash actually said.
0: Well, that's usually how it goes. It's, you know, you come out and you say something, anything negative against the trump administration pretty much and you're going to be hailed as like some kind of hero especially if you know you're an established conservative who you know the left or the right has previously hated before um and you know that works it works across the board that kind of strategy you take someone who's been a part of a system for a very long time you find the one niche thing where they disagree with the base on and you just like promote that you know that's like it's like finding you Know the one liberal woman who's super pro life, it's that kind of thing. Um, and this is the first time that Justin Amash has been that person to my knowledge, so um, it, it really does bring everybody out of the woodwork. And like I said before, I'm still just so confused as to why he's doing this. Um, I, I did see something earlier today because we, we, when we decided to talk about Amash, I, I went looking a little bit and uh, I'm not sure. Sh- how much I buy into it because it was coming from a few uh, um, vaguely unsavory sources but supposedly Dustin Mash has um, quite a lot of money invested in a manufacturing company in China and he's not too happy with the trade war going on with China right now on the tariffs that Trump is imposing so he wanted to knock Trump down a little bit so that he could you know, remain profitable in his Chinese it's like he they manufactured Hardware tools like uh, wrenches and and stuff like that, and then he sells them in, in, in Michigan. So uh, there's there's something about that. Not sure how much I buy into it as to like why that's he that's why he's kind of you know going after Trump a little bit, knocking him down a peg. Um, that that seems pretty dirty. I'm not sure Justin would go for something like that, but but it's it's a theory and it's out there, and I you know I can definitely see it gaining traction along the lines of some of the more radical. Uh, conservative types who, who like their their alternative sources of news,
1: um, right? I saw that. I I I don't know if I buy into it either. Like like you said, uh, anywhere I read those reports, they were from you know less than one hundred percent credible sources. Um, and I, I don't I don't I've never seen anything from Justin Amash that would lead me to believe he would behave like that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's possible, of course. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I, I, admittedly, I haven't looked into it as, as, as much as I probably should have. But so I can't, I can't really comment on it. I, who knows if that's true or not? I'm not sure. That could, could play a factor. Um, yeah, I, for me, man, I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but there's just nothing worse than the, the hashtag strange new respect. <laughs> you know that people on the, <laughs> on the right get for attacking the president, when all these people just hate every single person that I can tell praising Justin Amash other than like the hardcore libertarians that that don't like Trump anyway are people that absolutely hate Justin Amash and that just it, it really bothers me and we'll see i mean i, I just his, his premise like i said the whole like partisanship is bad like sure i'm on board with that like congress should actually read the report like yeah yeah i mean you get paid 175 grand a year read the damn report i mean i agree with all that stuff but like his whole premise is based on a lie i mean his his the first part of his tweet is Bill Barr misrepresented Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller said no, that's not true. So it's like you're you're starting with fruit of the poisonous tree here. Like that's just you're starting with just a bald-faced lie and, and an unfair attack not even on Trump. I mean, he's just it's a baseless smear of Bill Barr. Like I I don't get why Bill Barr. I mean, he obviously he's going to be the left's punching bag right now because I don't know, because he's AG, I guess. Like, you know, he's in the job, so the left's going to try to beat him up, but Why why is Bill Barr becoming a punching bag for people on the right? I mean, this guy is, like, by all accounts, at least from where I'm sitting, one of the most honest men in Washington, D.C. Like, I just don't understand the whole Bill Barr as the boogeyman thing. Like, I I just see this as, like, a cheap smear of a man that does not deserve that. Uh,
0: I'm with you 100%. Honestly, I don't don't know um, what's going on, and, um... You know, just as an aside, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, there was a story about Barr that came out, I think it was Friday, about how he was standing in front of the Capitol waiting for a hearing, and uh, uh, he ran into Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, and uh, he asked Pelosi if she brought her handcuffs with her today, just in case she needed to to place Barr under arrest. And uh, that story was floating around. So I like Barr a lot. Um, I think he's done a great job, and um you know i what- whatever Justin Mash has going on, whatever reason he's doing this, I hope at least it's you know a good one, otherwise he's just tarnishing you know Barr's career and Barr's public image, and you know he's knocking the president down a few points, so um you know i'm not not a huge fan of what's going on right now
1: and just before we wrap up this topic, I mean we've both read the the report, the redacted version, obviously is, am I missing I've, something like is there something read, I've read. What's that? Sorry.
0: I haven't read the whole thing. Definitely not. I've read, I've read, you know, the important bits.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I've read the first 200 pages. Is there, from what you've read, is there, am I missing something here? Is, is, have you seen something that could lead a reasonable human being to the conclusion that Amash arrived at? Because I, I just don't, like, I don't see it. I don't see one ounce of it. I see it as just a, a lie in a smear. Like, I, I'm not seeing any I'm sure there's embarrassing stuff in there like Trump seems like a really terrible boss uh which like okay I've had terrible bosses before like that uh, I get okay sure fine <laughs> I mean there's some embarrassing stuff but like I don't see it man I see nothing in there that can lead a rational rational human being to that conclusion
0: I I see nothing there either and you know if you read the thread carefully Justin didn't really provide us with a concrete example he just right. kind of left it at um you know trump has acted immorally and dishonestly and he's misled the public or violated the public trust that kind of thing and uh apparently that's well i mean anything's ground for impeachment but but i don't think that that's you know worthy of it you know i mean the fact that trump eats a well done steak with ketchup is better grounds for impeachment than anything in the Mueller report
1: Right, yeah, I I totally agree. So let's move on. We want to talk a little bit about uh Pete Buttigieg, our, you know, our favorite uh, mayor of a small town in Indiana, which I was uh I, you and I were texting Alec about what we wanted to talk about on the show today and you were like, "We got to talk about Pete Buttigieg." And I was worried. I thought you wanted to talk about the Fox News town hall that he did last night. I did not watch it. I I don't get paid enough to to watch stuff like that. I mean, look, doesn't I was grilling meat drinking beer and watching Game of Thrones with my friends last night because I like things that make me happy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, and you didn't watch the the town hall either, so that that was a a bit of a relief. Uh, We just kind of want to talk about Pete in general and why he sucks so bad. And and there's a few different angles we could take there, but uh, it seems like Pete Buttigieg's momentum, he was looking like he could actually be a serious contender in the Democratic primary, but I think he's definitely peaked at this point. Um, And I I can get into why here in a minute, but... um, what's your view on Pete in general and why he kind of got off to a hot start and gained a lot of momentum and why, at least from where I'm sitting, it seems like that's starting to fizzle out pretty quickly.
0: Uh, yeah. So I didn't watch town hall. Um, if I can somehow make it through this entire election season without watching a single town hall, it'll be a miracle, but I'm going <laughs> to do it. I'll try to do it. I'll watch the debates, but I, for goodness sake, don't make me watch a town hall. Um, but yeah, Pete Buttigieg. I think he got off to a good start in the beginning because he had a good comms team, and he was, you know, a young guy running for president. He had a great kind of background. You know, um, you know, he's had the public service and being mayor of of a you know decently sized town. He was he's a veteran and um he was big in the dnc he had run for dnc party chair um previously and and didn't get it um so he had a good network of people in the democratic party so when he you know started looking into running started doing a little bit of touring he already had a good network set up and just the combination of those things and you know the fact that If he's gay, doesn't hurt with with the identity politics that the Democratic Party likes to play. Um, It was just kind of a perfect storm of things that kind of launched him into the public view. And it doesn't hurt that he's, you know, a very eloquent speaker and writer and uh, has a lot of, you know, writing that he's done previously, all the way back to his college days. And uh, he did really well on kind of the lower podcast radio circuits and then started getting, you know, a couple more media hits. And then um, that's when... uh, a lot of the party leaders started paying attention, and you know, once you know, big party leaders pay attention to you, then your profile raises even more. He had, he had, uh, you know, the the lunch with uh, Rivland Al—is it Al Sharpton? No, Al Sharpton, Franken, Al Franken. One
1: of the two. Yeah, Sharpton. Yeah, Al Sharpton.
0: sharp Yeah, Sharpton. I remember tweeting about it, and uh, so you know, that's like one of the big things for every Democrat candidate that you know they go and have that lunch with with him. Um So he he was doing all the things correctly and then Joe Biden just kind of jumped in and, and just absolutely crushed his entire momentum like he might as well have just gotten tripped at, at the starting line um, which is surprising considering you know all the creepy things that Joe has done and, and the ties he has with the Obama administration but it seems that the majority of the Democratic Party is uh, still has Mr. Biden in their good graces.
1: I talked last week about why Biden is going to be the nominee and why he's off to such a huge start. And I think the reason why Pete Buttigieg got off to a hot start initially is is essentially the same reason why Biden is doing so well right now. And that's because this field is weak. I mean, the, people need to understand the 2016 Republican field was extremely strong. You had five or six popular, accomplished two-term governors— you had a bunch of accomplished senators. You had, you know, Donald Trump, a businessman, Carly Fiorina, a businesswoman. You know, you had Ben Carson, the most successful neurosurgeon in American history. You know, you had all these very strong candidates, and you had a lot of intellectual diversity. You had, you know, libertarians like Rand Paul. You had, like, the Lindsey Graham Warhawk types. You had, like, the establishment Jeb Bush guys. You had, you know, it was, you know, Bobby Jindal. You had. It was, a, it was a very, you had moderates like Kasich. There was just a, a, a lot of strong candidates, a lot of intellectual diversity. Just because there's a million Democrats running for president does not mean it's a strong field. This field sucks. Like, this field sucks. So I think Pete Buttigieg got off to a hot start because he's not a total dumbass. I mean, like, because I, I don't even think it was the gay stuff. I'm sure, you know, being gay as a Democrat doesn't hurt. But I don't even think it was the gay stuff. I don't even know if, I think it's just he's not completely, He's not a complete idiot. Like, he can actually speak English well. He can actually carry a conversation. He, You know, like, he knows how to, like, pretend at least to be nice to his opponents. You know, like, he's just—it's not even that he's great. It's that everybody else just sucks so bad. Like, his competition is an 80-year-old communist who's been praising the Soviet Union for 60 years. You know, Joe Biden, who, at the very best, is slowing down mentally and at the very worst has Alzheimer's. I mean, we've all noticed his mental decline Anytime he talks on, on TV. You know, like Spartacus, you know, Focahontas, a bunch of obscure congressmen mm. who've never done anything. Beto, who just, oh man, that guy sucks. So it's like, I think, <laughs> I don't even know if it's Buttigieg doing anything well, just similar to how, I don't know if Biden's lead is even him doing anything well. It's just the field is so weak. If you're just not a complete idiot, you're going to stand out.
0: Yeah, I think that definitely has, you know, a big part to do with it. Just because, I mean, Pete's done, you know, he's done well. He ha- he's done his homework. He's well-educated. I mean, he's an Ivy League grad. And uh, also, when he first started out, he looked like, you know, the first moderate Democrat that was going to run for it because everyone else was just pushing hard far left. But recently, he has been using kind of his moderate... Sensibility to disguise the fact that Pete Buttigieg is a hardcore leftist. Like he is advocating the abolition of the Electoral College. He wants to pay for everyone's higher education. He wants Medicare for all. He wants, you know, strict gun control. He is a, you know, a hardcore left wing Democrat, and he's doing a okay job still of trying to look like that moderate choice that might, you know, pull over a couple of uh uh, real moderate Republicans and and definitely, you know, appeals to the moderate left.
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, yeah, you didn't even mention that he wants to abolish private health care and uh, he's for abortion on demand up until the point of birth. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he's anything but. Yeah, Like, people take somebody's tone and demeanor and mistake that for being a moderate or a centrist or something. And, and it's, right. it's really starting to bother me. Like, even people— even, like, the Fox News types, like, even people in, like, right-wing media will do it. You know, they'll call, like, Joe Biden a moderate or, or Pete Buttigieg a moderate or even they used to call Beta O'Rourke somewhat moderate, right? I mean, obviously that's not true. It's like, no, just because they, like, are a white guy that knows how to talk to middle-class white people, that does not make them a moderate. <laughs> These people are all socialists, <laughs> man. They're all hardcore socialists. And maybe Biden isn't quite a socialist, but, you know, he's not too far off. He's definitely not a moderate. But, yeah, I'm really tired of people in conservative media mistaking somebody's demeanor being not not a wild insane red-faced screaming and yelling communist like Bernie Sanders (laughs) you know as long as you're not that you can be mistaken as a moderate and I think that's dangerous man like Joe Manchin is a moderate and I can't really think of any other Democrat uh, you know right now that could actually fit that description there might be a few you know I think there's some congressman from Utah or, or some shit, but yeah, there, there's not very many moderate Democrats at this point. I'm really getting tired of the media calling people like Pete a moderate when that's it's he's proven time and time again. Anytime he opens his mouth, that that's not true.
0: Yeah, honestly, it is. Pete's um, he's I think his time on the campaign trail is uh, is going to be dwindling here soon. But honestly, I don't want to make any kind of judgment calls until after the first debate. We'll see how well everyone does there. And, you know, because Pete has, Mayor Pete has this kind of experience, you know, with with debate and, you know, he's an Ivy League grad and this kind of thing. And he has, you know, that that better sensibility than everyone else where he's not going to be yelling. I wouldn't be surprised if he outlasts a lot of the more established Democrat candidates like Warren and Booker and Harris.
1: He could I, I definitely think he'll outlast mo- at least a couple of the people you just mentioned just on I mean Booker for instance is I mean he's gonna get one yeah. he's gonna get one percent in Iowa one percent in New Hampshire I, I mean I, I, how long do you stay in you know if you if you can't even make a dent if you have no momentum after the first two primaries I mean how long are some of these people I, I look I we could have 25 John Kasichs because all these people are completely delusional. These people are completely ridiculous, and they might just stay in till the bitter end no matter what, even if they don't even win their own home state. you know. So who knows? I mean, they could all stay in for the next year and a half, but um, I don't know if, if that would be fruitful. I, I made this case last week, I believe, maybe it was two weeks ago, um, about some of these candidates' path to the nomination, and I want to kind of lay it out, and see. you might disagree with me. Let me know if you ad- agree or disagree, but I think a guy like Pete Buttigieg just looking at the, the the list of primaries and what primaries happen first, I don't think he has any path to actually win the nomination. To, to be the nominee from a major party, you have to win either Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or do extremely well on Super Tuesday. So you basically have to, if you don't win one of those first three states, you got to sweep Super Tuesday. you got to win like both Ohio and Florida or something like that. Or at the very least, one of those two states, and then poll really well in some of the others. And Pete's not going to win. He's not going to win Iowa or New Hampshire because Biden and uh, uh, Sanders are are polling so well there. He's not going to win South Carolina because minorities don't like him. In South Carolina, he's polling at 14% among white Democrats and 0%. He's polling at 0% in South Carolina among minorities. Zero. The majority of South Carolina Democratic voters are minorities. And I, I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. One... Um, I think the the Democrats have really fucked up. They, they really want to be the party of minorities, and they really want to be the party of communism. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a black guy wearing a Shea Rivera T-shirt. <laughs> um, mm. that's just a I'm there might be someone out there, but I I don't see it. And then you know like Hispanics for instance, I mean the Democrats are really messing up with minorities on social issues. Like Hispanics are all Catholic. The majority of Hispanics are pro-life, right? And the Democrats are pushing abortion on demand, you know, in the fourth trimester in uh, Ralph Northam's case, right? And uh, that that's not going to sit well with black Southern Baptists or Hispanic Catholics, right? And that's just—and look, nobody wants to mention this. I'll say it because it's true. I'll tweet out some polling data to support this. This is true. I'm not saying it's all all black folks, but the black community, especially down south, tends to be a lot more homophobic, than, than white folks, that's just the fact. I'm not I'm not disparaging anyone. I'm just saying that is true. Um, Southern black voters aren't the biggest fan of the gays. They're they're just not. So that is going to hurt Pete in a in a state not nationally, but in a state like South Carolina. That's really going to hurt him. So it's it's very interesting seeing like the young hot candidates that the Democrats, the Twitter Democrats, really want to push not getting any traction with, you know, minority voters. Like, the only person doing well among minorities is the old 80-year-old establishment Joe Biden, right? That's it. The rest of them have nothing. They're polling extremely low. Even somebody like uh, Kamala Harris is not doing well among minorities. So it's—I think they've kind of messed up here. The Democrats have messed up. They're they're trying to cater to their base, but it's like they don't even realize who their base truly is. I think that's really hurting somebody like Pete Buttigieg, especially in a place like South Carolina, which— if he's not going to win Iowa or New Hampshire, there's a, there's a lot of people, a lot of these candidates, including Pete are going to bet the farm on, on a state like South Carolina. And I just don't think he has a chance there.
0: I tend to agree with you on, uh, pretty much all that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, it is all about who can win the election because that's what, matters in politics it's you know we can have as many twitter debates as we want to but in the end it's who not goes out and knocks the most doors and is able to get the vote out and you know right now it's looking like it's just going to be biden i mean it's it's really early like campaigning in states has barely even begun you know we're we're 280 some days away from the iowa primary so uh there's there's still a lot of time to play ball but um you know, probably in the end of it all, it's going to be Joe Biden. He's got the support of the DNC. He's got, you know, the Obama legacy that, you know, Democrats still love. So it's it's probably already ballgame.
1: Right. I, I agree. The only thing that could bring Biden down and I, I mean, look, I hope the man lives to be 120. Um, you know, God bless him. But uh, the, the only he is slowing down mentally. I mean, he gets confused the whole weird rambling about China and the mountains and stuff like that. That was very strange, very uncomfortable to watch. He's clearly not the same guy he was even a few years ago. Like, he looks bad, he sounds bad. I mean, he is, I believe, 78 years old. Um, So the, the only thing at this point, from where I'm sitting, that could bring down Joe Biden is if he steps on a debate stage and just eats a giant dick, right? I mean, like, he just, he can't remember anything. He can't remember his own policy points. He gets confused. He repeats himself you know it's clear that he's in mental decline something like that would open up the field I think that would obviously let other candidates maybe even like a Pete Buttigieg um, you know rise to the top maybe but short of that short of like some medical incident with Biden I honestly I think that's the only thing that can bring him down at this point I think he's off to and look typically the front runner at this point is not the nominee like at this point in 2015 Jeb Bush was the GOP frontrunner. In second place was Scott Walker, former Wisconsin Uh governor. So I think I think uh, the I I looked up the other day at this point in 2015, Jeb Bush had a huge lead. Scott Walker was in second place. Rand Paul was in third. Bobby Jindal was in fourth place. So so like anything can happen. But we've never seen a nominee at this point with this kind of commanding lead, man. I mean, like Biden is polling at 60 percent among minorities. And in every single state, he's got at least a fifteen point lead on Bernie Sanders. Like that is a, that's not just a lead, man. That's not just being the front runner. That is a commanding lead.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, now it's going to come down to the to the two old men. Um, but it, yeah, pending any horrible, you know, health emergency that befalls either of them, honestly, um, it'll it'll wind up being either the the crazy socialist or the maybe slightly less crazy Obama admin alum.
1: Man, nothing changes other than the sun, Alec. I mean, the party of change, the party of women, the party of minorities. It's coming down to a couple 80-year-old straight white men. What a time to be alive. It's amazing. So wh- one more thing we got, we want to hit. You brought it up uh, uh, before we started recording. One thing we got to hit uh, before I let you go is um, – you know we're seeing uh, even more conservatives being banned from by social media platforms in, in recent days and weeks. And uh, one thing, just to start off the conversation about big tech censorship, uh, you and I both have uh, been to to put it to put it lightly, to put it mildly, we've both been extremely critical of, of organizations like Turning Point USA and of people like Candace Owens, for instance. Uh, neither one of us are are a fan. Uh, Of Folks like that, uh, we both believe that they are absolute grifters and, at least in in my opinion, dangerous to the conservative movement as a whole. But uh, look, I I will defend Candace Owens. Brady Leonard and Alex Sears are about to defend Candace Owens, I think. At least I I, I think you are. Um, She was banned for 24 hours from Facebook over the weekend. I I forget why. I didn't even I didn't even click on the article, to be honest with you, because who cares? But um, yeah. I'll even I'll even stand up for Candace Owens. I stand against these uh, tech platforms banning literally anyone. I don't want Alex Jones to be banned. I don't even want Louis Farrakhan, a satanic communist Jew hater. You know, I don't want anybody to be banned. Everybody should be able to speak. So you heard it here first. I'm defending Turning Point. I'm defending Candace Owens. She obviously shouldn't have been banned. That hurts to say, but it's the truth.
0: Um, I don't know if I'll go so far as to to defend them. Uh, I agree that I don't really think people should be banned from platforms. Um, I I mean, these platforms exist as a place to let people talk. And honestly, they're losing, you know, some amount of capital by by banning these people. However, they are well within their rights as private companies to do so and really will what it comes down to is, you know, with all these people being banned, the question inevitably turns to should government be regulating these corporations? And I mean, here's the thing, at the end of the day, when you sign up for Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram and Google and all these things, you agree to their terms and conditions. And I don't know if any like anyone has actually sat down and read Read, you know, Facebook's terms and conditions. You practically sell your soul to Facebook. Like that's pretty much what's in the terms and conditions. They can do whatever they want with your profile, with your data, and and you just gave them permission to. And that's the problem, you know, that we've had for years. You know, people used to bury way back in the day, in the early two thousands, people used to bury like sweepstakes, like prize money, and the terms and conditions. Because no one would ever read it. So if you, if you know, some guy three years later would come in and read the terms and conditions, and suddenly he's like, "Oh, hey, like, email this person, call this number, and you, you know, have a chance to win ten thousand dollars." That kind of thing goes on, you know, three years after the terms and conditions are issued because no one reads them. They just click the box and move on. And that's what tech companies wanted. They wanted you to, to just, not think about all the things that they're going to do on the back end with your data, um, and. And, and so while, you know, people should not have their speech silenced, um, it's hard to feel sorry for, for folks who get bans, you know, like, like Alex Jones, like Laura Loomer, because, you know, they violated, well, maybe not. They, they maybe didn't violate, you know, the rules of Twitter, the rules of Facebook, but at any point in time, for literally no reason, Facebook can just remove them from their platform and, you you know i don't say this without some sort of empathy i've been you know banned from twitter for for infre- infrequently and you know for you know lo- longer periods of times so i've received you know a week long banning for telling people that they should vote on wednesday instead of tuesday so i mean
1: this is real look i will never defend jack dorsey but in his defense you were trying to get banned <laughs> like that was you were, oh, I, you were literally oh, asking for it
0: i i definitely was uh, uh with that one yeah uh, and uh, I went through a bit of a Twitter withdrawal, so I, I empathize with these people. It's you know they're definitely losing a big audience to, to speak to, and uh, Twitter, Twitter, and Facebook will will suffer in some way as their their audience start to leave um, if they ban enough people. But I don't really think that the government should be you know stepping in to tell these companies what to do. Um, you know if what I do, you know think is some kind of solution that I've just thought on a little bit um, have really fleshed out the idea, you know, these companies when you use them, they're making their profit from you. You are the product. Like we're we are Facebook's products. Like they make money off of us by selling our data and marketing ads to us. So where I think you know it could come into play is with where it comes to government regulation is somehow having more control over or since since we are the product of facebook either we need to be entitled to some kind of version of their services or we need to be able to say hey you are not allowed to use me to sell you know ads or to sell my data or or you know something along these lines to where the consumer has a little bit more control because no one is going to read those terms and conditions so you know at, at this point it it does seem somewhat okay for government to step in and be like hey You know, in this day and age with data privacy and security, we need to have some protection for the consumer.
1: I think the deeper issue here, and you touched on a little bit, is what should the government do? What should I'm more concerned with what should we do? Like we in the conservative movement, what should conservatives and libertarians do about this? And here's the thing. I have absolutely no answer. I think everyone's wrong. I think both sides of this debate are wrong. Like I disagree with everyone. Like, obviously, the government should not step in and regulate these these companies like a utility that's asinine. I mean, I'm a free market absolutist. That That is ridiculous. I mean, that's basically a socialist takeover of social media, and that's—no conservative or libertarian should want that, obviously. So, the the like, the kind of Trump-trained kind of conservatives that want the government to step in and, and regulate these companies, I obviously think that's a horrible mistake. I think that would be catastrophic down the road. I obviously think they're wrong. And then, like, the more libertarian side, like, oh, just build your own Twitter. It's like, well, no, because people have. Like, people have built their own Twitters, you know, based on, like, free speech prim- principles and stuff. Like, Gab, for instance. Like, I don't use Gab. I don't really like mm-hmm. Gab. And it seems like a lot of, like, racists and, and stuff have gotten on Gab. But, like, they these, these people made Gab. And they made it say, look, like, we support the First Amendment. Anybody can say whatever you want as long as you're not inciting violence. Okay, cool. And then, like, the iTunes store just removed the app from their store. And so did the Android stores and stuff like that. So, like, you can build your own Twitter, and then, like, big tech will still censor you because nobody can download the app. Like, to to use Gab, you actually have to get out your laptop and go to Gab.com and log in. And that's why nobody uses Gab because nobody's going to do that. So, like... So I guess the only, like, the libertarian argument would be, like, build your own internet? (laughs) Like, what? So you don't just have to build your own Twitter. You have to build your own Twitter and iTunes and, like, phone company and everything and the internet itself because that's impossible. So I think those people are wrong and, and have a too simplistic view of this as well. So, like, I disagree with both sides. I think they're all full of shit, and I have no answers. Like, I just don't know what we should be doing next. Like, what tactic should we be taking to combat censorship from the left, I don't know. Like the only thing we can all agree on is that yes, these social media platforms are run by a bunch of communists in Silicon Valley. Like, yeah, I get that. They're all the they have an anti conservative bias. They don't like us. They want to get Democrats elected. Okay. That's the truth. That's where we're at. Everybody that has a prescription on what to do next, I disagree with though. Like I just don't I don't think anybody is on the right path on what we should actually be doing next. Like, where do you come down on that?
0: I tend to agree. Um, I've seen a couple of different arguments recently that um, I, I have, you know, a couple of disagreements with. But it's actually, you know, a solution because people are just really complaining and not offering solutions outside of "oh, build your own internet," like you said. Right. Um, and one of them was the fact that, you know, we have utilities like as as people, we have, you know, like power. And, and water and phone lines and stuff like that. Those are utilities. And there is, um, you know, an idea out there that we should utilitize, you know, parts of the internet or the internet as whole. Um, and I think there's, you know, that's definitely, you know, big government intervention. But I think there may be some amount of merit to that at this point, just because. Um, and there, there's a lot of things that go into this, but. There is a coming age of 5G and Internet of Things and, like, self-driving cars and, and, you know, flying drones that are unmanned that deliver packages. Soon, everything is going to be connected to the Internet. That's coming very soon. And our system of laws is not that updated. Like, we do not have, you know, appropriate privacy protections for all, all, all of these things. And it's going to get us into trouble, especially on a national security front, because, you know, especially in this race to 5G, which is going to enable all of these driverless cars and, and drones delivering things on your doorstep, we're getting beat by China right now. And that is the most dangerous thing, because if China because, becomes the world leader in 5G, Every single one of those cell towers, every single phone, every single uh, like wireless connection point is going to be compromised by the Chinese government, and they will have you know data files for every single person on the planet who's ever connected to the internet. Um, and you know, I I speak on these kinds of things. As I was a computer science student. Um, I I done computer engineering. I have you know some of a background in and in, in system security that kind of thing. And Honestly, we are we need to start thinking of China as an adversary in technology, almost to the level that Russia was in the cold cold war. We we need to acknowledge as a country that we're in a, tech, a technological arms race with China to develop these tools the fastest in order to protect people's privacy and people's freedom, so that we're not all just you know collection devices for for the Chinese government's data mining.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and I think it's actually a, a, a more grave of a threat than the, the Soviet Union was during the Cold War. I think the power of the commies in the in the Cold War was wildly exaggerated. Like, Russia, obviously they had nukes, and we had nukes pointed at each other, but aside from, like, mutually astru- assured destruction, Russia was not as big a threat as, as we all kind of thought they were, and I think China is much more of a threat than most Americans think it is now. And you have to remember... Speaking about the, the Chinese government, they're not hindered by, you know, annoying little things like freedom. <laughs> right? right. Like they they're not they don't care about privacy or the the freedom of their citizens because their their entire citizenry it's a communist country. It's they just have, you know, like one point two billion slaves essentially. So they don't care about that. The Chinese government does whatever they want. They don't care about liberty. So it's like we're we're fighting this on both fronts. We're trying to preserve liberty preserve the freedom of the American people in terms of using the internet and social media, and we're trying to compete with China, it's it's hard to, to thread that needle. I mean, it, it's extremely difficult. We have a lot tougher a task ahead of us than the Chinese do.
0: We definitely do. And um, it's important that we, you know, start trying to think of it like that. We need to be helping our tech companies. We need to be, you know, promoting um, data privacy and, and secured systems Um, and there's not, I mean, there's just such a misunderstanding of technology going on in DC and across America right now. Nobody really super understands like how the internet actually works. Um, so we definitely need more of that and we need it quickly and, uh, we need it in order to be China uh, in this great technological arms race that we're in the middle of that, you know, nobody really notices is going on.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it always bothers me because I don't like just complaining about stuff and not putting forth some kind of suggestion on what we should actually be doing. Like, it drives me crazy when, when other people do that and it drives me even crazier when I do it. But like, like I said a minute ago, I, I don't have any answers here. Like, I really don't know. And I truly do believe like both sides are kind of naive and, and incorrect about this. Like, I, I don't see any politician or any group of people on the right uh, or the left, like, proposing something that can actually fix this problem, and that's kind of scary. But, all right, Alec, thanks so much for coming on again, man. I'm sure I'll have you back on soon. Um, we're out of time, but before I let you go, uh, where can everybody uh, follow you online and keep in touch and, and all that good stuff?
0: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It's always an absolute pleasure being on the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Al. All
1: right, everybody follow Alec at Al. He's great. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Thank